Hi, everyone. It's so great to be with you this morning. My name's Leanne. I'm the executive pastor here, and I'm so excited to jump back into our Fully Mature series. This is session three of our series. And just to remind you, in case you've forgotten, session one, we looked at growing into maturity and pursuing our emotional health. And we had you do like a gratitude memory exercise. Session two was about in knowing who we are, we are better able to relate to God and others. And we talked about seats on a mountain. You might remember that picture of how we are when we come to meet with God. If either of those sessions is sounding foggy in your memory, please take the time to go back online and watch a video. The videos aren't very long, and there is notes and questions attached to every each one of those that you can spend some time working through because it is really valuable stuff and it is stuff that we can return to over and over. Um, We don't just need to do one and done. We can come back and let God speak to us in new ways every time. And this week, we're going to look at going back in order to go forward. So what do I mean by this phrase, going back? We are going to take a look at our family of origin, and that is the family group that you grew up with, either your birth family, it might have been an adoptive family, it may have been a caregiving family, but it is the environment and the group of people that shaped you as you grew up. And we're going to uncover some of the patterns and behaviours and legacies that we might need to leave behind us as we pursue loving God and loving others in the most Jesus-y way possible. So this discussion is timely, given that Thanksgiving and Christmas, two very family-intense times, are just around the corner. And we think this material is so important that we're going to spend two sessions on this. So uh, strap in, get ready to go, because there's a lot of stuff here to cover. Um, I'm going to start with asking you if you feel comfortable to put in the chat box a single word that you might use to describe the family atmosphere you grew up in. It could be uh, fun, serious, competitive, um, what other words, complaining, affirming, any of those kind of words. It kind of makes me think of, you know, Family Feud where they say, we surveyed 100 people and these were their responses. But I think in this question, we could get 100 different responses because each of our family situations are pretty unique. So if you feel comfortable doing that, throw that in the chat box. So today we're going to look at this concept of going back in order to going forward through the lens of two biblical truths. We're going to take a quick look at Joseph. Now, if you missed Tom's message last Sunday about Joseph, I feel like saying pause right now and go and watch it, but don't do that. After this is all over, find some time this week to watch that message because it was so encouraging. It it was just, yeah, really important stuff about Joseph's story, suffering, and God. So please take time to do that. Um, I'm going to give you some homework for next session and end with a few encouraging reasons why you should do this thing of looking back at your family uh, of origin before we meet again. So there's a link that's coming up in the chat box that has the notes that you can click on download. There's, uh, the homework is attached to that too, so you'll get it all in one go, and you can follow along. All right, let's start with these two biblical truths. The first one, the blessing and sins of our families have impact lasting for at least three or four generations. Now, this truth comes out of Exodus, and we're going to look at the verses, and these verses are hard to read at first, so hang in with me to get through to the other side, but they are both from accounts of Moses up on a mountaintop, talking with God. 
God is finalizing his covenant of love with Israel, and he has just rescued them from slavery and oppression, and this covenant relationship is going to display his love to all the nations, and he's requiring behavior um, and requiring them to live in a certain way in return. So let's have a look at Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, before I read the next verse, just to give you a little context, this was Moses went up the mountaintop the first time, got the Ten Commandments, came down, and then this second verse is when he went back up. Now, in the time that he was up and down the mountaintop, the people got so impatient, even though they knew he's up there meeting with God, the God who has just saved them, and they started fashioning idols out of gold, a calf, and worshipping that. So just keep that in mind as you read this second uh, verse from Exodus. And he, God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So like I said, tough verses. But when we look at the Hebrew word that is used here for punishment, it is not how we think of where we give out punishment in direct relationship to, to an action that someone gave. This Hebrew word alludes more to the consequences or the natural outflow of what happens when people make decisions that go against God's will or God, God's plan for their life and how that flows through and is seen in the generations that come. God's heart is not about punishing people. Um, this verse makes it very clear that God does not punish children for their parents' sin, but he does hold children who don't learn from their parents' mistakes accountable. It's the responsibility of every generation to not repeat the mistakes of those that came before them. And we've seen this in Genesis, right? We've followed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We see this thread of good things, powerful blessings, but we also see patterns of lying, favoritism, brothers fighting each other, poor marriages, and we see the consequences of each of these patterns play out. Hundreds of times through the scripture, God asks us to remember, to look back to where you've come from. And this allows us not to ignore this tendency we have as people to just really quickly replace God with idols or with other things. We tend to move him out of the center really quickly. We fall into habits of sin. And by looking back, we get to remember that tendency of humanity, but we also are forced to remember that God's work is about deliverances and promises of hope for the future. When you weigh up the scale of those verses, it's like sin plays itself out three to four generations. God's love to thousands of generations. Like that's a pretty good equation in my, in my books. So the second biblical truth that we're going to look at is becoming more like Jesus is the process of putting off sinful patterns of our family of origin and living in a new way as a member of God's family. So 
This is good news, right? Good news that our family of origin doesn't dictate our future. God's got it. Um, The New Testament is full of references to our adoption into God's family. We're born anew, we're given a new name, we have a new freedom, we have a new inheritance, and we even get new family members. Um, And Jesus spoke directly to this concept of new family in Mark, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mothers and brothers are outside, or mother, I should say, and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So congratulations, you're part of my family. (laughs) I'm part of yours um, because we are in God's family. Um, This is not a reference to dishonouring or abandoning our families of origin, but it's an expanse of like reality of belonging to God's family. We can honour and love our family of origin, but we can also live free and maturely in God's family. Um, We can walk away from these sinful patterns that our earthly inheritance has in our life and we can be shaped by like the fruits of our new family um, that we inherit from our Heavenly Father. We can have a family that's uh, shaped by grace and peace and patience and fidelity and truthfulness and unconditional love. Um, So here we have it, our two biblical truths that we're going to base this concept of going back on. And the reality is, in order to do that, we need to be really honest about the fact that if we don't take that look back and we don't acknowledge that there's stuff there that we may not even be aware of, we're not going to be able to uh, move forward. So we're going to use Joseph as our example to help us do this hard work. And like I said, if you missed the message last week, please go back because Joseph's story is one of the invisible hands of God um, through his crazy family. And if you just even followed the little picture that Tom put up of his family, you'll realize how messed up it was. Um, And he's a perfect example of how his story and his family's story is just so entwined. And I'm going to read a recap of his story straight out of um, the EHS uh, workbook, the the material that we're using for this fully mature series. And um, it sums up Joseph's life to a certain point. And then I'm going to pause and then we'll come back and finish his story. Joseph was born into a complex, blended family where his father Jacob, Jacob's two wives, two concubines, and their children all lived under one roof. Joseph was Jacob's favoured son, and as a result, his brothers grew jealous, leading them to sell Joseph to a merchant who took him to Egypt. The brothers never expected to hear from Joseph again. After he was sold, Joseph's life became very difficult. For the next 10 to 13 years, Joseph lived first as a slave and later as a prisoner falsely accused of rape. Okay, let's pause his story there. So Pete Scazzaro, who is the author of this material, he says, we need to acknowledge that there's an iceberg that's in each of us from our family of origin. Um, Now, (laughs) Joseph's got a pretty big iceberg there. And we cannot, like, ignore or hate the fact that that is a reality in each of our lives. It's because of that that we need to be aware of the patterns and the negative uh, things that are playing out in our families. 
And like I said before, we do this to discern where God's at work and also how we can live differently as we go forward. Somehow and somewhere, I'm not sure, maybe in all the the nights in prison, Joseph was able to work through some of this stuff because his relationship with God was so uh, intentional, I think, that he was able to face the hard stuff. And that's what we're going to ask you guys to do. So we're going to come back to Joseph in a minute, and we're gonna, I'm going to remind you that I said I was going to give you homework. So in the packet that you clicked on the link and downloaded, there is some worksheets to just follow through. It's very, very uh, self-explanatory. Start at the beginning, go through. And you're going to find a piece of paper that looks like this. It's a genogram. And what it is, is it's a place where you can map out your family relationships and interactions and members and you start with your parents and grandparents and then work down. This is what mine looks like after a couple of different sessions of doing this. Um, If you follow the key at the bottom, it helps you um, show the types of relationships, the people that are involved and then it gives you a place to identify some themes that might come out as you look at all these interplay of, of your family of origin And it gives you a place to list earthquake occurrences, which are explained as major events that may have changed the trajectory um, and relationships within your family. So print that out, start scribbling, and I'll just give you a couple of examples uh, in my own personal exploration of my iceberg that have come out. One thing that if you looked closely at mine, you would notice that um, I don't know much about my family. Three of my four grandparents died before I was two. My mum never met her grandparents. So the oral tradition in our family of even just talking about family members is pretty minimal. Now, my husband, he knew his great-grandparents into his 20s um, and his grandparents into his 30s, and now he still has both his parents as well. So For every family, it's going to be different, and this this pursuit of going back is going to look different. Some of you will do it because you just know the people involved. Others of you will have to ask questions, and you may be like me, get not many answers. Um, For me, that's... I've been very scared of dying young (laughs) because that's the reality for my mum's family and that's had to work itself out in a lot of um, trusting God and knowing that he has a plan for me and that you know, he knows the hairs on my head as well as the days on earth, and that's, that's okay. Like, I don't need to fear that. Um, some other things that have come out as I've looked at my genogram is that I'm a firstborn. My dad is a firstborn. Um, obviously, I have a firstborn in Derby. Um, and the interplay of family birth order in our families has really um, shaped not only how I see gender roles, but also um, the type of person I am. I struggled for many, many years with people pleasing uh, because as a firstborn, you just expected to do a lot of things and be a certain person. And I think I just translated that, especially even into ministry, into always having to make sure that everybody was happy with me and with what I was doing and what they were doing. And it took me, has taken me a lot of time to work through a lot of that. And also now looking as a parent, how to encourage my kids, uh, especially my firstborn, not to fall into that trap. And so God has been very gracious with me in allowing me to relax in him and to realize that my worth and my value come from him, not from my position 
in uh, my birth order or from the way that I act because of that position or being parented by someone who had the same expectations on them. Um, another thing, and it kind of fits into that, <laughs> is that we were a no-sorry family. Like, you, you didn't hear the word sorry very often. You heard a lot of us arguing and fighting to the death on who was right, and um, we had many dinner conversations that went for hours after dinner just trying to stamp <laughs> our opinion on everybody else, um, and it doesn't go well when five people are trying to do that. Um, but, yeah, it... It has, it has, again, affected how I, I work and move in teams, uh, how I parent, and it's taken, and it's actually, this is probably something that's still very much in process um, of God chipping away this thing of, like, to, it's okay to be uh, not right. <laughs> it's okay to apologize. It's okay to not expect other people to be right all the time um, and to allow them the space to make a mistake and say sorry. Uh, so yeah, that, that is a theme that comes again from through the generations, through my upbringing and out into how I walk through the world. Uh, the earthquake occurrence that is very prominent in my family at the moment is um, actually happened before I was even born, but it continues to play out. And that is that my parents had to declare bankruptcy because someone ran away with all their money uh, in a business that they started. And that has really shaped um, my view on money because I've heard it ever since I was born about how, you know, you need to be careful of those and hold on tight to avoid those kind of situations. And it has really, I've had to learn how to be generous, how to trust God for provision, how to... Um, you know, not hold on to money so tightly because of the messages that I was told all my life based on that occurrence. So I hope that sharing some of those things in my genogram and my going back and my iceberg, that that might encourage you and um, show you some ways to sort of process and think about the things that you have gathered along the way from your family of origin and how they're playing out um, in your walk now with your family and also with, with God. So we're going to pick up Joseph's story again. Um, and I'm happy to talk with any of you guys if you have questions or you just want to talk out your genograms, please call me. I would love to do that. Um, so let's pick up Joseph's story again. Through God's miraculous intervention, Joseph was pulled from the pit of prison and made the second most powerful person in Egypt. Later, when his brothers came to Egypt for food during a famine in Israel, Joseph invited them to return for their father and come and live in Egypt, which they gladly did. But after Jacob died, the brothers began to worry. So we pick up here in Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I would have been able to respond like Joseph to his family. Um, And that is the challenge before us. It is to cultivate our relationship with Jesus so that our experience of him allows us to see his hand in the hard stuff as we look back through our family of origin and to also see the life and the treasure that can come out of the brokenness um, and the hard stuff that's there. Um, So the last thing we need to do as part of this process is we need to make the decision to do the hard work of becoming like Jesus. Um, It's not it's not easy and it's going to take time, but we, we really believe so importantly in this spiritual health stuff that that's why we're asking you to take the time to do that this week. Um, all families in some way are broken. Um, there's a lot of needless pain because people don't take the time to look back and learn from generations before them. By changing our narrative, we're not betraying our families, we're just moving our earthly family story in line with God's story for us. And I want to just leave you with this picture of an arrow going forward with some of the the great and encouraging things that can come out of this process. And we're going to spend more time next session looking at these in depth, but we can become more compassionate to our parents and caregivers that, that raised us. We can celebrate the deliverance of God and how it's woven into our stories. We can carry a lighter load by understanding our iceberg. We can live authentically. We can live out of our brokenness. We get a new safe beginning in the grace of God. We're able to live joyfully and bring that as a gift to to others around us. And we can create space to celebrate God's amazing, miraculous, loyal love for us. So I hope something in that arrow just inspires you to take the time this week to do the work. And um, yeah, we will come back next time and unpack some of these things that we're discovering as we look at our family of origin. Let me pray for you as we, we go this week. Jesus, thank you so much that your love lasts a thousand generations and that no matter what decisions that our family of origin made, that we can be set free from the consequences of that by your love and that you will walk with us as we unpack the brokenness and the pain and live a new life in a new family in a new way because you loved us first. And I just really pray for each and every person this morning that is going to do this hard work this week, that you will... uh, bless them and honour them in the time that they set aside in revealing to them things that they may not have been aware of and that may have been causing um, just difficulty in life, Lord, and that you will be able to show them a way free of that. I just pray for those of us that are parents that are now raising the next generation that will look back on what we did and that we will continue to trust you in that, continue to ask for your provision of wisdom and, and love and patience and all the things that come with being parents. And I just pray for our kids that they will discover your love for themselves and that they too will walk in your way. I just thank you for the gift of people like Pizza Zero who can um, guide us in this journey and give us the materials and the content to just seek after you in a way that's healthy. And I just pray that you'll continue to encourage us as we seek to be fully mature people who are following you and living as, um, as you've 
shown us in the Bible and in response to your love. We just pray these things in your name. Amen.